Prokof's Nopagus does not get enough love. That doesn't sound like anything. That's that's you're just making up words or having no, a no, stroke. It, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's the little bitty uh, scavenger dinosaurs. Oh, the compies? Yeah, the compies, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Comps, nothing. That's co- they're compies. They're compies. Don't. Yeah. They're commies. <laughs> they're commies. <laughs> <laughs> Communism is a red herring. <laughs> well, now, hold on. Actually, that is a very rich little girl they take roast beef from. So, well, there, might be, some, there <laughs> might be something she's not reading. Well, she only gets bit a couple times and yeah, is fine exactly. they... in the first book. She's fine. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah, that's a first book recon, retcon. She's fine. She's fine. Yeah, she's a good opening. It's a harrowing opening. It's pretty good. I appreciate that. Is it scary? Although you know, I hate her parents. I don't very think much. they're on a real beach. That's what I think. I think I, I need like a fake beach to me. Six servants to serve me wine when I'm not asking for it. Yeah, that, that's what I need. Well, I, I, I mean, when you can afford a boat to just go to lost islands, I guess you can have as many servants serve you whatever you're, you're, you want you're yachting along the coast of yeah. costa rica you gotta bring your put staff. baloney on my ritz crackers please yeah mm-hmm. bring mm-hmm. some staff with you for the beach trip jeffrey <laughs> <laughs> i need more cheese whiz <laughs> hello everybody and welcome again to the good trash honor cast we gather around a table we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film space course this week's film is a little joint from 1997 I believe, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, who you may or may not have heard of. Never heard of him. He's 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 made some waves here and there. Uh, he's a hot yep up and comer. It's uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World, or just Jurassic Park colon The Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Is it the Lost World colon Jurassic? Park? Incredibly yes. fucked up title. Yeah, I I love it. They. It, one of many baffling decisions made in this movie. Is well, they the had title. to specify Jurassic Park because then you're getting into uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' work. Oh, right on, yeah. With but then the Lost there's World also uh, well, Old in one of the uh, two for both. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. One of them. But, but the this day there were other dinosaur movies called The Lost World about islands and dinosaurs. Sure, right. Crichton's novel is just called The Lost World, isn't it? Probably. I'm sure it's got colon a Let's Jurassic Park novel or something. I'm curious. Well, while you're looking that up, yes, that is the title of the movie. I. It is just the book title. The, the, just there you the, go. The Lost World. It sure is. Yeah. But you got a brand. <clears throat> yeah, you got to get it. As Dustin often says, if the poster says, didn't let you know it was a sequel, that's right. The gotta, title will let you know. You got to say it for Slow Joe in the third row, as Dustin loves to say. Yes. The back row. Third uh, row. Is it third row? I thought so. Uh, back row, I think. Maybe is it? it might be third row. I can't remember now. I have to look but up anyway. my Louis B. Mayer quotes. You got. You got to say it slow. And sometimes you just need to put the right thing on the poster. Yeah. Uh, that's why they They should have went with T-O-O, since it's the second island. Oh, Jurassic Park 2. Uh, yes, yeah, that's yeah. good. Like, I like, like that Look a who's lot. talking to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I like that. <laughs> Pretty big fan of that. Um, so I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And in case you're tuning in for the very first time to this show, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean that we're going to spoil some things. Um, the dinos may or may not get out, but we won't say. We won't say. Uh... Until the end. Well, look, they've made five more Jurassic Park movies since this one. Four, so... They have a tendency to get out. Yeah. Dinosaurs are going to be running amok. The day that you hear this has released, a new Jurassic World has entered our cinemas. You know what I've noticed about this new Jurassic World is none of the posters have the obtuse title for the movie on it. It's just the Jurassic Park logo in amber and Mm. then then the cast. Because Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, colon, Dominion. Dominion. Not the catchiest of titles. No. 
Better than the Lost World colon Jurassic Park. I think I have to agree with you there. I think the cleanest sequel title is probably just Jurassic Park 3. Uh, hard, hard to argue with. I that think one. Jurassic World works. You Jurassic know what? World, yeah. I will give Jurassic World that. It's You're like right. a too fast, too furious kind of thing. At yeah. That yeah. Point. yeah, I like Jurassic Park three because it's simple. Yeah, this is the third one. Perfect. Yeah. I know what I'm getting. Done. Talking raptors. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's in this one. I think is Dominions where we get that. Um, they have lasers on their back. Oh wait, that's right. There is a talking raptor in three. Holy shit, I forgot. That's right. Alan <laughs> Grant's dream. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the dream raptor. I forgot gonna, about the dream. How raptor. can I forget about the dream raptor? Arthur, thank you for bringing that up. It does bear mentioning that this is the third Jurassic Park movie we're talking about on the show because we've already talked about Jurassic Park three. The and, cleanly named and one and one and, long ago. Oh, my. But we're going to avoid spoilers, is what I was saying. Um, and the way we're going to avoid spoilers is through a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. Mm. Quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, uh, just to let you know the flavor of the movie. Then we move into something called Expanding the Syllabus, by which we may have some gentle spoilers of the film, and more likely more significant spoilers of films in its orbit. And then we get down to business. There's music to let you know we've gotten down to business. And then that's when all spoiler bets are off. We are ready to do all spoiling then. So that's your warning. Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us? Certainly. Care of IMDb.com. A research team is sent to the Jurassic Park Site B Island to study the dinosaurs there while an engine team approaches with another agenda. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks, IMDb. Arthur can't be doing this every week. Have yeah. you noticed how good his his plot summaries are? They're great. They're fantastic. He can't be. I doing need to recharge once in a while. Exactly. A, and honestly, I'm glad you didn't spend your energy on the Lost World. It's a Jurassic synopsis Park. sabbatical. You've earned it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um. Well, we've, we've all, all seen, seen it. Yeah. This was the first movie I ever saw in a drive-in. Anybody else got a fun story on this one? No, I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I think I saw it when I was in my 30s. Oh, you didn't see this one when it came out? Nah. Really? Really? Nah. I, 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 it felt like I'm like, wow. nah. Even it, that makes sense. You were a jaded teenager by I this was, point. Yeah, I was like, nah. He was deep he in was his He was anti-capitalist, anti-corporate. A sequel no, to that's Jurassic his 30s. Park. Never mind. What was going on in the... <laughs> yeah, like, this is not going to be just, good. He was simply too country goth for it. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. He was hard Justin throwing from... Yeah, we, uh, we, yeah, we like exactly. to call ourselves banjo goth. <laughs> banjo goth. Thank you very much. Just um, a heavy metal dueling banjos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like where you're at. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think he was doing the Justin Thoreau from Romeo and Michelle thing. Yeah, that's you know. what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, but I get it. So you, you didn't catch up with this one until much later. Much well, later. Then you go first. You don't okay. usually go first. You're the last to see this. Okay. Um, Jurassic Park. Two mm-hmm. is what I'm going to call it. I think that's fair. That's valid. But nonetheless, uh, it is a sequel of a very, very good first film. And <laughs> therefore, it is trying to give you the things a sequel does, which is how do I do all those things and do them differently? Mm-hmm. It does that. Yeah. It does all the things we have all we have. Pretty much all the pieces that we've had before. We've got our evil, you know, venture capitalist. We've got Ian Malcolm saying, we're all going to die. You should not do this. It's fun. Later, there's running and screaming. screaming. Yeah. Uh, there's that. You've got an interesting uh, scientific female character who is also, you know, part of the story. Uh, you've got uh, the uh, Great White Hunter. You've got... Everything you had before, but you've seen it already. 
It is Jurassic Park, but different. Yeah. And that's really my experience. I've seen this movie already. It was better the first time. I'm done. Next. Well, that's totally fair. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll go. Okay. I, uh, Arthur, yeah. What about you? Where are you at on this one? He's not wrong, is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, here's the thing about this movie is it watching it, it feels like it has absolutely zero purpose. It exists solely to give you dinosaurs doing stuff. I think it ends up having um, 500 million purposes. Yes. They're green. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. This 100%. Small green yes. purposes. Uh, from the... Toyetic uh, vehicles, Arthur. Yes. No. Yeah. From the, the, the vehicles that look like toys mm-hmm. uh, to all the dinosaurs. Uh, this really is only a money cop. Uh, Crichton was hesitant to write a sequel uh, because he didn't know how he could do it, considering this was a kind of one and done thing. Um, but you know, they, they got there and uh, I think the book for reading a synopsis of it makes more sense than what this movie is. It makes zero sense to turn Malcolm into the obscene father figure. Uh, it, it makes zero sense that none of these people have common sense, uh, to be there. Uh, Pete Postlethwaite is the only sincere character as acting within the rules given to him as the, uh, proud trophy hunter who's just there to bag a T-Rex. Uh, and really, uh, he's the best thing in this movie, uh, outside of maybe Vince Vaughn, who I think is doing some really good work here as well. Um, but it's like they looked at the last 35 minutes of Jurassic Park and said, let's just make that a full two-hour movie. And that's what they did. And, yeah. and it doesn't work. Uh, the Everything that works about the first movie is really stripped out here uh, to try and pigeonhole characters into roles that they don't fit. To try to get there, uh, to get us to an outlandish third act that makes zero sense on a number of levels. Also, there are five islands. Are there, oh, I'm are not there... even addressing the third act in my review. I just want to be clear. The movie ends in the island. <laughs> you, you, you refuse to engage with the, the uh, no, I've, I've, I, I have no truck with it this. It is a really tacked on third act. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. But no, go on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bad. It's abysmal. Um, and, and so I was surprised. I thought I would like, you know, I, I, I'd seen some people who kind of talk a little more fondly of this. You know, when it came out, I remember it wasn't super well received. I don't recall. Uh, but I think about five to ten years ago, I'd started seeing some more positive, you know, kind of reviews of it again. But I just don't see it. It's, I mean, Spielberg in of himself can make a solid. But we kind of talked about that Ready Player One. He's a very competent filmmaker. So this has a baseline of being okay. But I don't think it gets past being okay. And I feel like it's just too heavy handed of a corporate product that really has no purpose in furthering the narrative of the Jurassic world. Then you own it, and you slap it on a lunchbox. Exactly. You know, they didn't, you know, they, they were so focused on whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think about whether or not they should. And life, that's where I'm at. Life found a way, guys. Life found a way. Uh, what? Jo- jobs, were, jobs were had, and I guess that's, that's what we can be happy for. What do I think, Dustin? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, because I, I, I thought you were going to say life found a way, and you were going to make this sort of earnest defense. No, God, no, 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 this movie's not that good. No, I wish. No, I, I wish. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, I'm, I might like it a little bit more than you guys. I think that there's some like fun moments. I think there is an entire like horror, mini horror movie that it goes on for about 15 minutes in the middle of the second act of this movie that kicks ass. Like Steven Spielberg lets all of his like kind of grimiest, 
uh, impulses come out a little bit for uh, you know the raptors in the field. Yeah, uh, that is the T Rex on bit. the other side of the waterfall. Yeah, uh, Toby from the West Wing getting absolutely annihilated uh, by T Rexes, and I'm I'm I am not being as spoiler gentle as Dustin said we would be, but it's a movie with dinosaurs. You don't care about who dies. If they're not named Jeff Goldblum, you know that there's a good chance they might eat it. Um, and that's that's another thing I will say. I think Goldblum is interesting as the lead here. I think it makes no sense. I mean, this movie bends over backwards to get him back on Dino Island. It really has to do a lot of work to get him there. And it has to do even more work to get his girlfriend there. It has to do further work to get his child there. Like, it, this movie is constantly twisting itself into a pretzel to, like, make its plot machinations. Make makes it, sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just... Boy, howdy! Is does it feel? I'm very... still not entirely sure of Richard Hammond's actual reasoning for sending them there. I, it's it's so obtuse. He wants so he wants them to go to the island to document that the dinosaurs are there, living free and peaceful, so that Engine, because Won't. of the court of public opinion, it would be evil to go there. So 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 then nothing bad will happen to the dinosaurs, right? Is that I, sort of? Yeah, I yeah, guess. He's, he go, yeah, he becomes a preservationist. Preservationist, yeah. yeah. He's had a huge turn of heart. Yes, which Malcolm points out, and that's that's that is. I mean, it's hard to hate Richard Attenborough. <laughs> I mean, I get that he is. Attenborough is so good. Yeah, uh, that is sort of the scene of the movie, though, right? It is Goldblum going to Attenborough, getting the mission, but also talking to Attenborough's uh, nephew character. I can't remember. It's, Rich banker sleaze. guy number one. Yeah, sleazy, sleazy Three engine piece guy. Suit sleaze. Yeah. E- the evil uh, uh, Hammond. The most evil Hammond. Uh, <laughs> the darkest the dark, time plot <laughs> Hammond. They ha- they have a moment there though where he's like, it's all about ownership, right? And it, it does feel like Spielberg talking to the Universal execs of like, no, 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 you don't understand. We own Jurassic Park. There is more Jurassic Park. You can be in the Jurassic Park business if you want to. That's what we're doing. It's happening nonetheless. And that that is a moment in the movie that does sort of, I don't know, kind of work for me because it does feel like Spielberg being a little bit of, of his sort of Looney Tunesy self, I, I guess. His sort of, I don't like when the money people tell me what to do. He, he has a little bit of that in him. You know, he'll, he'll let it come out every once in a while. And I feel like that that is the moment where the movie is sort of like winking at the audience. I This is this is dumb. Ian Malcolm knows it's dumb that we're doing more of this, and I do too, but we're going to have fun. And that's that's why I think the sort of short dinosaur horror movie that exists in the middle of this movie exists because Spielberg's like, well, if I have to do another one of these, I'm going to do something I didn't do the first time, which is like, go full horror movie with it for a moment. And I think that's fun. I don't think it necessarily justifies the entire two-hour runtime, but, you know, it's, it's pretty cool in moments, and I, I think that that's valuable. As you said, Vince Vaughn's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think Julianne Moore is really fun when the movie's not making her make terrible decisions. Uh, I, I think the the, uh, the kid the kid's good. Uh, I yeah, don't have her name written down, and the I don't character's know her. Kelly. Yeah, uh, the young the young child Malcolm. Uh, really fun. I think her and Goldblum work together really well. Vanessa um, Chester. Vanessa Chester. Yeah, I, I think they're they're good together. She she doesn't have that kid actor thing we were talking about recently. She mm-hmm. does, she doesn't have that that the, the thing that mm-hmm. makes you not believe that they're a real child. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun in moments, but I'm pretty much on board with both of you guys. This is this is not a great movie. All right, well, there you go, dear listener. Our um, biases are generally con, but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot to say about it. In fact, we're going to start saying many, many things that are interesting 
that we find in this film, starting now with a little segment of the show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, if you would, please explain to the dear listener what Expanding the Syllabus is all about. I will surely do that now, Dustin. Earlier, you told the listener that this is the show where we talk about the movies you wouldn't discuss in a film studies course. I did say that. Now is the time where we try to make up a fictional film studies course for you. So I lied. You lied. Correct. Now, now is the part of the thought experiment where you're in a film studies course, and, and we're making you talk about Jurassic Park 2. Why are we doing this to you? We don't love ourselves. No, yeah, we have terrible problems, uh, and we, we work through them by making you think academically about movies that don't deserve academic consideration. In this case, Jurassic Park 2. Uh, so how will we do that? What kind of class will it be? That's up to each of us to tackle in our own ways how we see fit. Uh, but that's that's the that's what this segment is. Is it's, it's it's delivering on the promise of the show with a little thought experiment. Correct. So therefore, with that in mind and in hand, I ask you, Dalton, to go yeah. ahead and deliver that syllabus. I will do that. Uh, so I think there's I don't I don't really have anything too fully fleshed out for this one. So I've got two options for you, uh, both of which I think are fine. I think we could look at the brief blockbuster career of Jeff Goldblum, do a little star study. We haven't done one of those in a while. Mm. And I, I think you could look at Goldblum and say, like, how did this bizarrely, this bizarre looking and yet incredibly handsome man who talks like nobody else talks, how did he become a blockbuster superstar for like four years? How did that occur? It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but somehow between... The Fly, <clears throat> this 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 weird, gross-out movie that he did with David Cronenberg, somehow between that and Independence Day, he became Hollywood's leading man. Because after Independence Day, they go, well, you know who we hang our Jurassic Park sequel on? We hang it on Jeff Goldblum because Sam Neill isn't as handsome. He's not as tall. We can't hang the movie on Sam Neill. Uh, the Bloom is very tall. He's, boo, he's, he's a big guy. Uh, so no, I think there's something there. I think the only other place that I, I, I would go with the Jurassic Park two is is that scene I just spoke about, uh, the the scene where it does feel like the movie is kind of being self self referential about its own existence, and and I think that's that's where you could use this is a, a class uh, that looks at sequels that are kind of about sequel making. I'm thinking of things like Gremlins two, which we've discussed on the show. I think Gremlins two is very kind of self aware as a sequel. Uh, Matrix Four, I, I think, is obviously a very you know recent example of this, but is doing a lot of that sort of what does it mean to revisit a story type stuff. Uh, I think Metal Gear Solid Two, if you want to get into the interactive mediums, I think is a, a really does really interesting stuff with this the sort of sequel idea of uh, how do how do you remake people? It does it does some sequel stuff by way of doing some Boys of Brazil stuff? Very interesting Metal Gear Solid Two, uh, and I think Glass, uh, the uh, Shyamalan film, I think does some interesting things there. Where with like sort of superhero movies and franchise storytelling as a whole, it's kind of got a, a, an opinion on its mind about that. And you know, I think most legacy sequels do this to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, I think you could look at Jurassic Park as sort of Jurassic Park Two as sort of an early uh, example of of this this type of thing of. Uh, these sort of self-aware moments in sequel making. I, I think that there's a little bit of that going on here. But those those are your two options. Like I said, I didn't have much for this because it is sort of a a thin movie to say the least. But those those were two things that came to mind for me, Dustin. Very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you in terms of a film syllabus for Jurassic Park, The Lost World? I think for me, this might be part of, again, maybe a, that screenwriting course that I started a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I'd probably look at how to structure 
or develop a movie sequel. I think that's an interesting concept because there are different sorts of sequels that you can look at and discuss. Uh, I think first and foremost, we'd probably start with maybe the most noted sequel, which is The Godfather Part Two, Sure. Uh, which is kind of lauded as the first instance of a sequel being better than the original film, uh, which is commonly, uh, you know, thrown at sequels that you can't live up to the first film. Yeah. You can't do it. And I think the lost world shows that, uh, but the Godfather part two is usually lauded as that. Where are you at on that question, Arthur? Do you like Godfather part two better? I have not seen it, but I do know enough that it does longs on a <laughs> syllabus. <laughs> Yay. There you go. I think it's better, but I, I think I that thing is, uh, that it, uh, you know, is able to kind of flesh out these characters a bit more, mm-hmm. uh, by giving us young Michael, but also looking back at the early days of Vito and kind of splitting that narrative to kind of build out that world building. And I think fleshing out world building is an important direction you can go with the sequel uh, so that you don't necessarily have to go to the well too many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think a a movie that does a very good job of this that we would look at is none other than John Wick. I knew you were going to say John Wick too. Yeah, baby. Which uh, really builds on the the first movie hints at this bigger world Mm -hmm. of hitmen and uh, assassins and gives us a few little, you know, a hotel, special currency, little little nuggets that, you know, we're like, what is that about? But, we, you know, it's not like a plot hole. It's just like, that's, what is that? What's the bigger story there? And John Wick Chapter 2 and then Chapter 3 as well, both really start taking us into this broader world and really build out uh, this idea that that's hinted at in the first movie. And I think that's a good use of a sequel that you can drop little things that really don't have to have major importance in your first movie in your film. And then if that film is successful and they say, Hey, let's make a sequel. Well, now you've got something you can kind of build on. You've got seeds planted mm-hmm. that if people see them and think they're cool in the first one, great. And if people are like, start asking those questions already, that gives you a natural in into a sequel that you can build that out. Um, the second type of sequel we look at is the bridge, mm. which is usually part of a franchise, which gets us from part A to part B. And I think you have to look at Lord of the Rings, the two towers, which is kind of the er example of this, uh, wherein we've got our big setup in the first movie and we've been set on this mission. And the two towers is really just that kind of travel log between uh, the, the first act and the, the big climax in uh, return of the King and empire strikes back kind of falls into this as well. Uh, just bridging this narrative gap, uh, I, I think, is a really interesting tool. It allows you to kind of live with these characters a little more, flesh them out a little more, build those arcs in a natural way. But I think that really only works in a sense of you know you have a franchise that you are going to complete. If if you are banking on the first movie to succeed and you are already planning a sequel, try not to make it a bridge unless you know for sure you're going to make a third one. Because it can really kill your storytelling. And that's where I'm going to go with a kind of negative example. This is A Quiet Place Part 2, which I think is very well made. Uh, Again, I think Krasinski is a great director and and is really great with suspense. But narratively, it feels like it's a bridge to a third part. And I don't think when it came out that it was already greenlit. It got greenlit after the opening. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a tricky, like, watching that movie, it feels like it's bridging to a natural climax and conclusion. But that film itself kind of feels like it's spinning in wheels because of where it goes and where it ends. It's kind of like The Lost World, and it just, oh, you like those crazy monsters? Here's more of them. Mm -hmm. Where is this going? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think you just have to be careful if you are wanting to make a bridge sequel that you know you're going to be able to conclude it because that second one will derail 
I think the legacy and impact of the story you've tried to tell uh, in your franchise so far. Uh, from there, we'd probably talk uh, a little differently and talk about, um, oh my gosh, so we're just, what's Twilight Zone? What is it? It oh, is anthology. a anthology films uh, where we have either maybe a brand or a character in different adventures. So James Same. Bond yeah. is the one I would look at. Uh, we'd probably look at Goldfinger, which is kind of a noted one there. This character's already introduced. Some of that history follows him. And the modern Craig uh, films are a little more traditional sequels. They have a kind of yeah. a coherent storyline through all five of them. Um, Definitely but, more so than other yeah, Bonds. But the earlier felt more anthology. You know, there's a character we know, we kind of know his habits, we know his arc, we know what he's about, but here he is taking on this guy. Here he is facing off with this country or, you know, whatever the, the threat of the week is. It's almost more of a Monster of the Week style of storytelling, but in film. Hmm. Um we would also probably look at Halloween three season of the witch, yeah. which was initially supposed to be the original sequel to Halloween. But because of the success of that film and Michael Myers, they decided to make a Haddonfield sequel. And then they tried to do season of the witch. But by that point it was kind of a failed experiment because people just wanted more Michael Myers. Yeah. I love that people have kind of come around on that. It's still, it's a, fun. It's a film I need to finish. I've only seen it in bits and pieces. Yeah. It's, but, it's certainly uh, yeah. A, a different experience, but yeah, it is kind of nice that, you know, this is that thing. It's, you know, I think it just had so much bad blood because people wanted another Michael Myers movie, yeah. but then you're like, what, what is, what is, what is this? You know? Uh, so that's another place uh, we would go. And then I, I like, you mentioned Gremlins too. And I like that here. Because I think that's a good example of a director being like, I have to make another one. Well, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, I'm going to go weird. And so, he, you know, because sometimes it's like you, you're just going to have to retell the same story because of the nature of what you've done. Yeah. And so allowing him to kind of Dante to just go in and get weird with it is a lot of fun. And, and uh, I listened to the next best picture recently where they talked about Texas Chainsaw and X together. Mm. Um, but they brought up this, but they also brought up uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, which is a kind of a similar instance of uh, Toby Hooper going, well, if you want another one, I guess I'll just make it weird. Yeah. And mm. just having carte blanche to do so. Uh, but finally, we would end with the legacy sequel. Yeah. Uh, and I would actually go with Creed here, which I think is just a prime example of really building from a source material it's sort of the er uh like a sequel i think me. by now yeah yeah i mean i think Mad it's Max, not the first but it's definitely yeah fury road is almost an anthology film for me and I've, you know that's kind of come more than a like a sequel it, it you know kind of what is a legacy sequel and, and mad mm -hmm. max doesn't really have that i mean mm -hmm. is he the same max is he a new you know it is you know yeah. there's kind of hints as like he was the kid that he gave his jacket to in road warrior or whatever yeah and it's like so we never had that clarification so do we really define it as like a sequel or yeah, a, it's just you know a, it's an interesting it's, question i don't think it fits into the category nearly as strongly as something like creed, creed does, yeah which i think is the, the best it's been done because i think that big idea for the legacy sequel is to obviously have the legacy of those original characters so we have rocky balboa mm -hmm but also to kind of wrestle with the themes of those films while also introducing new ideas and new themes. And I think Creed does it very well. Mm -hmm. I think Creed is a great movie. Uh, but that's what we would do. I think we just kind of go through a survey of different types of sequels you can do, how you can approach them, when you should use a sequel, when you should not have a sequel. And if a studio is going to force your hand to create a sequel and you can be involved, then how's the best way to approach that? But that's what we do, and it'll probably be a screenwriting course. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that. Um, I would do it in a regular film studies course, uh, particularly in the area of adaptation. Uh, I, uh, in the course this week, read the novel. 
uh, for research. Good for you. And uh, it's quite good, and I enjoyed it. We'll maybe talk more about that when we get down to analysis uh, and just some of the differences and what have you uh, with the film. But uh, I'm thinking about Linda Hutchian, uh, who is one of the great theorists of adaptation, would be a, sort of a, an ancillary, auxiliary uh, bit of okay. reading on top of this. Just sort of thinking about what the, the, that whole discourse of faithfulness and, and, and media specificity and a lot of those questions that you have to sort of think about when you're making any kind of adaptation. And in this, the module of that adaptation or film adaptation, I'm thinking an entire course on adaptation, uh, to put this in as a module, thinking about the four sequel the necessary sequel mm. and when the necessary sequel is also accompanied by the novel and so it is that we well we got this great property now we got to do something with it and so i i think this is a case in which again michael Crichton was approached and said okay we're gonna make another one write us a book and he does and that book is not what ends up appearing on the screen something somewhat like it does in some ways but just looking at those adaptation choices and what ends up happening with the source material and how that source material is then transferred into the visual medium, thinking about visuality, thinking about the necessary sort of uh, truncating of storytelling, how you get to that and whatnot there. Uh, then I want to look at uh, one of the Thomas Harris books um, and the bad one, not the good one uh, in this case. I think Hannibal is a pretty good book. And now is Hannibal a forced sequel as well? I mean, was after, it a similar Silence of the Lambs, they were kind of done. I mean, it, yeah. it does have a cliffhanger. And so, in that sense, he's done Red Dragon first. Red right? Dragon first, and, and then uh, and Silence of the Lambs is his, is his a sequel. Is a sequel. Mm -hmm. And then the sequel was so popular, but he was, I mean, again, it was written open ended in a way where we were going to sort of maybe finish that Hannibal Lecter story. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it did well enough in the box office. Ridley Scott did a good enough job with the directorial role there uh, with the film adaptation. But Hannibal Rising. Is another, Yet another forced sequel. Where is they an say, absolute write for, more for us, right? We're going to make one. Do you want to write one or not? Yeah. And so, same situation. In this case, again, it does seem like you could think a little bit about Hannibal. I want to use some clips from Hannibal. Again, the film, not Hannibal, the television series from NBC. And think about what happens with that as, again, a planned sequel that ends up being adapted. Fine, I think. It's a different, again, a different kettle of fish. But... Hannibal Rising, the sort of weird backstory of the life of, you know, Herr Hannibal Lecter, a count of wherever. It, it doesn't matter. It's awful. It's just, it's just, it's, it's a lousy book. It's a lousy movie. And, but it's also just trying to get you more of that what you want kind mm. of stuff. Mm. What you, what, what, what people gravitated to as iconic to repeat that in different ways. And so I find that to be kind of a troubling thing. The last of these uh, sequels, less forced, but I think the film adaptation is forced into certain interesting territory, and that is looking at Dr. Sleep, mm. in which Stephen King is going to write a sequel that is absolutely a sequel to the novel, in which the movie just doesn't happen. He's not interested in the world of the movie, and writes this different kind of story about what ended up happening to Danny Torrance, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. And again, I think it's a very good book. Uh, it does what it does uh, in, in the world of Stephen King, as Stephen King does those things. But when the Flanagan film has to come about, the director is forced to reckon with the, the reckonable force that is Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining. 
and that includes visual iconography Mm -hmm. and also plot beats, uh, characters that are dead, that should be dead, that Mm -hmm. based on those who've only seen the film who have not read any of the books. And so the adaptation becomes, I have to find a way to adapt this new source material, but I also have source material in that there is an adaptation that is fundamentally informing whatever thing I produce next. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think in that sense, it, it becomes a really interesting knot, you know, Gordian knot that he's going to have to find his way to cut through. So that's that's the fun, I think, of that particular module of that course is is, is sequeling and sequelization mm-hmm. as a general sort of project there in, um, again, adaptation theory. So there you go, dear listener. I think your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now it's time to get down to business. It's business. And that business is, as always, analysis. What shall we do, friends? Well, I want to because I didn't think about it, but I, I Dalton's reading of, and I don't know why I did, but Dalton's reading of this as a kind of meta sequel mm. on the nature and need of sequels. I think is a really interesting look at it. I mean, we talked initially when we did the first movie uh, quite a bit about kind of the meta narrative of that uh, of creating a film and franchising and studios and directors and creators and the way it kind of deals in different genres as a movie. It's an adventure movie, but it's a horror movie. And, you know, it really did have a meta narrative feel. So it makes sense. I think that there is sort of a meta narrative going on and I don't know how well that message works with the franchise or where it's at, where it goes. Um, I didn't know if you had any more on that reading or kind of what, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier when you're talking about that scene between Hammond and Ian Malcolm. Yeah. You know, and and Malcolm kind of standing in as Spielberg, I would suppose. That's that's sort of how I read it was, yeah, Malcolm sort of stands in for Spielberg and then the Hammond's nephew sort of stands in for the studio, Mm -hmm. right? And it is this moment of like, you know, no, no, we are the ones that have the final say on this narrative. You can go on TV and say whatever you want to say. But at the end of the day, we own these dinosaurs. And it does. it is a moment to me that, yeah, definitely reads, I think, meta at the very least. Um, but even if, you you know, that's not intentional, uh, it's, I think it's fun to kind of look at that, look at it in that lens, even if it's not intentional. And I think Spielberg. Yeah, I think Malcolm could even stand in not only as Spielberg, but also Crichton, who was also mm-hmm. kind yeah. of very opposed to being like having to go back to the island. Right and deal with this this legacy of what Jurassic Park now has become of, you know, he's got to make plot decisions that don't necessarily make sense to try to get a a book that can now be adapted into a a sequel film, and even from there, you know, they they make changes and revisions that are, are either studio, I think, related or uh, Spielberg. Directives right. well, because the obscene father isn't a thing in the book, is it? No, it's not in the book. Uh, nor is yeah, and that in, feels in like either version. That's a Spielberg thing. Spielberg pool. Yeah, well, Spielberg pulls bits from the first novel, so that opening scene the it, it, is and... the opening scene of the first book. Yeah. Oh, okay, and then the dinosaur, uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and the tongue through the uh, waterfall. That's also in the first book. Oh, so I mean, those are just you know ways in which it kind of goes back to the well a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. So, yeah. 
Interesting. I was kind of interested in 90s Spielberg as I was watching this, just sort of thinking of like, it's an interesting moment in his career, right, where he, boom, 93, gets the comically huge success of Jurassic Park and then gets the industry validation of Schindler's List Mm -hmm. and then spends the rest of the 90s with kind of a weird blank check uh, where he does Hook, which is an oddity of a film that we've talked about before, does this, does Amistad, does Saving Private Ryan. So it's kind of a weird moment in his career where he, he is... He's he's like becoming elder statesman Spielberg, right? Which is sort of the he we get sort of dark, moody Spielberg in the aughts. I feel like when we talked about Minority Report recently, I feel like that's kind of where we came down on that era. And then the the teens has definitely been the teens and twenties have been elder statesman Spielberg. And I think this is sort of the moment where that that starts to kind of solidify. Uh, I just was curious, you know, if I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on this era of his career. Uh, this era of his output and any any big thoughts, but that was sort of what I was thinking. This this definitely feels like a victory lap to me. Is was sort of uh, especially situated between uh, I think Amistad comes out the same year as this, yeah, uh, and then again the and next he's got year Saving Private Ryan the next year, yeah. So what's right before this? it's oh so it's this is his follow up to Schindler's List, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting that it, it does it is the it truly is a Jurassic Park victory lap. Yeah, um, it's sort of interesting. Uh, just as a again, it's it's such a serious part of his career the the the, uh, the run that is Schindler, Amistad, Ryan. This kind of is weird sitting in there. Yeah, I'm sure it's you know it's a really interesting place for him. I mean, if you I mean he's absolute run in the '80s, right? E.T. Poltergeist, well. What it is with Poltergeist, uh, Temple of Doom, Color Purple, Goonies, Empire of the Sun, Class Crusade. Uh, he does Hook, and you know it feels like Jurassic Park and Schindler's List are like the big climax of this run yeah. of just hit after hit. Uh, and then it's kind of a moment of maybe reset. Like I mean, he takes a four year break, or is a four year break between uh, Schindler and uh, Jurassic World. Yeah. Right, so it's kind of a where do I go from here moment. I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, and again, it gets that like industry validation coming up with yeah. Schindler too, right? Because what else do I do? You know? Yeah, exactly. Like he's been fighting for the legitimacy of the industry. Like I think he gets kind of shuffled off into genre status throughout the 80s and i think empire of the sun is kind of one of those early moments of trying to break out and do something different yeah and color purple I yeah think, you know, mm-hmm. sure uh but it's it's schindler's the one that gets like the awards validation and that, i mean that is huge for your career uh, yeah however, however you want to look at the awards thing it is sort of i think opinions vary on how important those things are but i definitely you know it changes careers he was definitely though i think even by 93 had entered an echelon of directing and filmmaking that very few directors make. I, was, I mean, he's, he's got so many executive producer credits starting that, in the but also just pop culture references. I mean, yeah. Animaniacs, The Simpsons. I mean, people sure. knew what Steven Spielberg looked like. Yeah. Sure. There aren't any other directors, maybe a Scorsese, but I don't even know in 93, you know, now maybe, yeah. but I mean, he was up there with like Hitch in as far as being yeah. able to identify a picture. Like, oh, there's Spielberg. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he was one of the very few you could sell a movie on based on his name alone. Yeah. Right. By that point, I think. And so, you know, and, and then comes the industry, you know, like it all just like seems to culminate here in the early 90s. And I think it's a really, I mean, interesting place for him to be. And then it feels like he does kind of reset 
maybe fully with Amistad and saving Private Ryan. Lost World, I think, is a weird victory lap again. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's sort of how I think about it. And I, I surely that's. I, I, I'm just curious how he thinks about it. It's it's a movie that I'm I'm curious. Like what when he thinks about his career, I wonder what he thinks about this film. Have you ever it, seen? Isn't there a documentary about him on HBO? That Spielberg documentary. Uh, I think there is. I haven't watched it. I'd be interested sounds, to watch that. It sounds like a thing that exists. Yeah. It, it feels like he is proprietary of franchises. I think he saw what happened with Zemeckis and the Back of the Future, mm. Lucas and the Star Wars, and his own success with the Indiana Jones franchise, working with George Lucas. And I think he d- did see, and perhaps does see, Jurassic Park as, this is one of those things that can be all mine, 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 all mine, mm-hmm. and it can have my stamp all the way through. And so I think the willingness to just make the choice of, okay, yeah, I want to do these more serious things, but uh, it seems like Universal really is going to make this movie right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, he was almost the Jurassic Park 3 guy a couple of times. Like, yeah. It, it almost happened with him as the director more than once. And Joe Johnson is, you know, one of his guys on his his second unit or uh, mm-hmm. first AD. I can't remember what capacity he worked with him. But I know he's he's part of the Spielberg team going way back. So you're right. Maybe that, that is a big part of it. I know he still has producer credits on all the, the Jurassic World movies. So mm-hmm. you're, maybe that is what it comes down to is he's he saw that opportunity to be like, this is... This is the thing that puts all the grandkids in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about major themes, and I'm thinking about the first book and movie, and the, and the, the major theme there is it does sort of uh, recapitulate the Frankenstein story. We've talked about mm-hmm. this before, this idea that just because you can doesn't mean you should, yeah. and to be wise and to uh, be disciplined with, power that you receive, inherited power, in the sense of scientific intelligence and knowledge. And I don't know what the theme of the Lost World Jurassic Park is, other than, don't be so greedy, you'll hurt people. Is that as, I mean, do we have anything else? Well, you know, it kind of opens up echoing that sentiment right he you know uh, Hammond says something along the lines of you know we made a lot of mistakes and we're ready to correct that and Malcolm's like well you're still making even bigger mistakes yeah, making now new ones. yeah but yeah I mean and I think that the issue there with the, the, the uh, picking a theme is it's just so messy to get us to where we're trying to go it, you know it is so absurd in getting these characters to the island that it feels like it loses a thread of that, the thematic, you know, I mean, be a good dad, <laughs> you know, I don't mm. you know, be, be there for your partner, be supportive. Like, yeah, it, I mean, he's got Ian Malcolm gets this line right about uh, referencing the Heisenberg and certainty principle that studying the Island changes what's going on in the Island. And I, you know, there's something there, maybe right. This idea of just scientific observation and like, what what is our responsibility academically speaking if we observe something what what have we changed about the lost world by looking at it under these contexts i don't know uh, but uh yeah i'm with you the maybe that... the theme that corporations never change no matter how bad the decision <laughs> is yeah because even you know, this movie even though like the t-rex spoiler alert has come to san diego yes uh, of all cities, the, the 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 great animal city with SeaWorld and the zoo, they have and the, the Chargers wild, and the wildlife. Was, I think that that was racist. I couldn't tell. Uh, I, I just I, I thought or football classist. players are just yeah, you know yeah, Neanderthals or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like they, a big, the wildlife setting, preserve. Yeah, I mean they're setting it up that 
the San Diego is a, a huge tourist town because they have all the animals. It is. And it's so, sort of its deal. Which is uh, funny to I, think I, about. I, hey, I am one of the tourists who went to San Diego and enjoyed their, their fine animal attractions. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, my dad's a fan of their, uh, what is that? I can't, the San Diego Wildlife Reservation. Zoo, right? I mean, the San Diego Zoo, zoo and then there's like another wildlife thing. refuge kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's it's also zooey type animals. I mean, they are not indigenous to the United States uh, animals, uh, but they've got a little bit more open uh, land to just sort of vibe on. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. It, but even weird. <laughs> once this T Rex debacle has gone off, uh, Evil Hammond. Still wants uh, to keep still the baby. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like he hasn't learned a lesson, no. and it, that seems like a very corporate message that corporations never learn i mean yeah and, and that's just again but per, that's still a very thin. weak reading it's pretty right? thin yeah and, and in the book this is what i found as i was reading the book part of what motivates Mal- malcolm wants to go back to the island so malcolm has not reported to anybody so he's not the one who he's not know, the whistleblower he's not the whistleblower mm. and he wants to because he's bound for reasons not to do that and so uh he's Staying within those lines, but if there's something else going on, there's an opportunity there. That's part of it. But the more significant part of it is he has this theory about extinction of the dinosaurs, that it doesn't need an asteroid, that over time, as species evolve, they also begin to alter their behavior. And if any one part of your behavior gets a little bit out of whack, it can cause massive sort of you know biosphere uh, collapse, mm. and so he he wonders that it, maybe that's what the dinosaurs ended up doing. And so there's this other paleontologist guy, Levin, who's not in the book or not in the movie, who is hearing words of washed up you know carcasses and animals showing up in mainland Costa Rica and that mm. kind of stuff. And like, I think there might be a real lost world out there. And like, Ian's like, maybe he's being, you know, very coy about yeah. it. But it's like, if you find anything, let me know. Cause it'd be interesting to look to see what they're doing. Because I got a feeling their behavior is going to be a real problem. And the Heisenberg uncertainty principle comes in with some of this and part of the discussion in mm. the book. And so the book becomes uh, a thing about species extinction events may be in many ways behaviorally driven which becomes something of a warning bell for humanity that species extinction events may be behaviorally driven. So, so Crichton's being pretty uh, deliberate in what he's got to say about uh, his his thoughts on environmentalism um, and yeah. you know those kinds of things feels very Crichton though yeah yeah right. and, and so thinking about some of that kind of stuff of course turns out you can't really observe the island because the island itself is not naturally an ecosystem uh, because some of the behavior things are learned by raptors and other animals that they were not raised by parents and therefore they didn't know how to act like raptors properly mm. and so that's part of why they're they are, winging it yeah they're they're as wild and that's gnarly very, and brutal as they end up being i kind of love that though yeah. that's interesting that Crichton like thought about like okay i have to write a sequel to this what am i going to write it about and he's like okay what what is an animal that doesn't have an animal to raise it become like mm-hmm. yeah that's that's sort of an interesting question mm-hmm. to, to ponder and so, yeah, it becomes a different kind. And again, that that's a rich idea. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's perfectly executed in the book. I think the book's good. Um, I don't know if it's great, but I think it's good. And this is part of my frustration with the film is that it is only going for the thrills of, uh, well, what, what Martin Scorsese said about Marvel movies at one point, that they're amusement park rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is definitely Pirates of the Caribbean, where the pirates eat the tourists. And uh, it's it, it's that kind of adventure, but it really 
fails to get any meat on the bone, if that makes any sense. No, totally. Because Crackton does so in the book, and they, so it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, because I was just sitting over here thinking about the character Kelly, right? And like, yeah. does this movie do anything by way of that character? Does it does it do anything for her? Or does she exist only to be a child in peril? Does she exist only to you know heighten Goldblum's motivations to get everyone out and get everyone to safety? Right? Is she just there to, to have to be a ticking clock? And that sort of yes is my answer. I think I can't think of like what it does if Kelly saves all their lives in the book. Well, oh, is she in the book too. Yeah, and well, she no. and, and her schoolmate. Oh, uh, there's a schoolmate. There's a schoolmate, Arby. Does Arby all, get eaten? Arby does not get eaten. Um, no. They both basically save everyone's bacon. Oh, nice. Which is great. And uh, our Sarah Harding character, she is going to come to the island, um, but not really wanting to, and sort of aware of it, not even told, because again, Malcolm hasn't even told her that mm. there are real dinosaurs out there. But when Malcolm... So he's like, because of the NDA, has totally kept his lips zipped. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And when Malcolm and Levine all go missing and everyone's there and she doesn't hear from him a while, she goes and she saves him. Oh, okay. She's the hero. Well, that's fun. Why did we get that? That's a better movie. Yeah, that's a better movie. Why, why do we have so much of uh, Julianne Moore acting like a dipshit? Yeah, and she, of course, she's not a paleontologist. <laughs> she's actually just a naturalist. She works in Africa with lions. I mean, so there's Which that makes background. more sense. It's, I don't know why they make the paleontologists. paleontologist. It doesn't make any sense no, here. No. I mean... Because she alludes to having like worked with predators, both as a, being a grad student joke, but also uh, a joke about... You know, being in the savannah, I guess. Yeah. She, so I don't know. It, it, it's, it's like it's a, compil- it's a compilation. But of she characters. also has like yeah. it, it enhanced like medical training in certain element, like scenes. Yeah, she's just ready to set this dinosaur's leg and yeah. cast it. Can read an ultrasound. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. Just some she's hyper competent when the movie needs her to be hyper competent yeah. and makes all these characters feel like the plot needs you to do this. One hundred percent. Yeah. It is very frustrating. Um. Oh, I'm going to pivot to something that I like about the movie real quick. Good puppetry. We yeah. just kind of talk about I, I still, the, the, you know, this movie, I think, looks pretty good, mm-hmm. with especially the, the dinosaur uh, stuff. I, Except for the stegos. I mean, I think the some of the stegos look awful. But I think all the puppet stuff works looks good. And mm-hmm. I think that first movie still looks better than anything they've made since. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I don't know how. I mean, there are a couple of those CG scenes that don't work quite as well. The Brachiosaurus and the, the uh, what are they in the fields? But the, the Gallimimus. Di- yeah, Gallimimus. Um, but the, the up close, I mean, having those puppets just works so much more than CGI blue, CGI yep. Delta and the CGI, Is that the name of the Raptors, Sarah Ron Rex or whatever they've made in this new one. Right. <laughs> I just, there's something tactile about them that just makes them more real, but also I think scarier. The baby mm-hmm. Stegosaurus looks like convincingly cute. Yeah. It's the eye, the eye movements it does are like, re- like it's got slow blinks that are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the compies look great. Yeah, I mean, there's just some cool stuff. The compies uh, are fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the raptor puppet, the raptor coming under the door. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good use of that puppet. Yeah, uh, yeah I just think there's great puppetry in here, and every time. I guess they're making a bunch of puppets for this this last Jurassic World movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I think I read something about them having made more puppets for this one than the previous two. I'm really but... curious where this takes the franchise. By the time we said you know, this is releasing on the same weekend as Jurassic World Dominion, um, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, the, the natural place is if the dinosaurs just let the dinosaurs take over. Um, you know, that's, I think they, that's the happy ending at this well, point. It's supposed yeah. to be the end of it all, so yeah. I'm curious where this takes us, unless we get another trilogy. Maybe we can get like a Fast and the Furious uh, dinosaur mashup from Universal. Oh, oh that would God. Be... 
great. Wow. Just like cars and dinos. You know, Luda riding shotgun with a Velociraptor. Sure. Voiced sure. by Tyrese. Yeah. Yeah. Vin's got to <laughs> ride a Triceratops yeah. into battle. And they've got to take a T Rex into space. Yeah. Of you know, obviously. I'm yeah. there for it. Yeah. Those, they, they, these are Universal's two big money makers, and they are coming to an end. I'm ready for soon. the. I'm ready for the Fast and the Furious extended universe. I all right, we do cinematic have cinematic universe. I hate, I hate that we're doing this, but th- this is it's kind of a, th- a narratively or a analytically thin movie, and we're talking about the business of movie making. Yes. So let's talk about Universal Pictures for a moment. Okay, Universal uh, NBC. I think I think they're still under mm-hmm. the same ownership, even though somebody owns both of them now. Yeah. Um, what happens to them post? This this new run of Jurassic Park movies, the Jurassic World franchise, this is ending, and Fast Ten comes out next year, and that's maybe. supposed to be maybe, yeah. But uh, it has been a bit tumultuous, right? Yeah, Justin uh, Lin quit. Yeah, Louis Leterrier came on and then uh, quit, right? Or no, is I he think still he's on? on. Okay, I think he's still on. But yeah, that that movie is supposed to come out soon. But okay, that's like the end of their two big franchises. Yeah, they don't have anything else, uh, right? I mean, unless they're really hoping on Happy Death Data. <laughs> to, uh, to make a resurgence in 2024. I, I'm definitely just curious, like what what they're banking on uh, with. The, I still the, want a good dark universe, but I don't know that's going to happen. Well, I don't know they've pivoted on that, right? They've decided it's smarter to make those be smaller movies because uh, Karen Kusama is dra- attached to their Dracula movie, mm-hmm. which would be cool. I, Karen Kusama Dracula movie sounds badass. Yeah, I'm there for that. Let's um, see, they've got a. Uh, they got Oppenheimer. That's the big Nolan movie coming out. Oh, that's right. I've got an untitled Super Mario Brothers movie coming out. Yeah, with Chris Pratt as Mario. Bad casting. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've got some animated, you know, they've got the Despicable stuff. They've got the Troll stuff. Mm, okay, forgot about those. But really, they don't have, I mean, yeah, I think Fast and the Furious is their last big franchise. They have the two-parter for Wicked in 2024, 2025. Wicked's but, coming out as a two-parter? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's a big enough uh, production cultural phenomenon. You want to squeeze two movies worth of money out of that if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the story. I mean, it really does feel like Universal is kind of just hanging in there. I mean, they've got totally. to be operating off the Fast and the Furious money at this point in Jurassic World. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I just, I struggle to think of like, what is even their, the, their back catalog? I'm trying I mean, to They did of. Ambulance this year. The Bad Guys was them. Oh, yeah. Firestarter. Oh, the Firestar remake. Oh, gosh, I keep forgetting about that. So they've had a couple of releases this year. They've got Nope. They're releasing Nope. Oh, Nope's them. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, there's some stuff that can make a movie. I mean, Halloween. But it does yeah. feel like they're, they've they pivoted a bit more to maybe the lower, or not lower, mid, mid to high budget genre mm. piece. Which I think is a good move for them. I, yeah. I think it's smart. I, hopefully they're... I think they work a lot with Bloomhouse too. Yes. I know that they've got ongoing deals with them, uh, first look deals and stuff. Oh, yeah. I think uh, The Black Phone is a universal movie because mm-hmm. it's also a Bloomhouse movie. Right. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's smart. Maybe that's what they do. And I hope, you know, obviously the more studios who are making mid-budget movies, the better. I, I, I think the less tentpole investment going on, the, the, better, the healthier the industry is going to get. Are they the last of the big five? Uh, the, those studios. Well, who's left? I mean, Warner Brothers is still around. Yeah, and they're a big five. Um, Who were the big five? The big five were okay. Exam question time, right? Uh, Universal because they had theaters. MGM because they had theaters. Uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, and Fox. 
Fox, correct. Well, yes. and then RKO. RKO and Columbia. We're off. United Artists. And United. Right. Those are the yeah, those, smaller ones. Those, Columbia three. became a big player after yeah. it happened one night and Frank Capra showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they didn't have, they never owned their own theaters. Yeah. So and then eventually became Sony Columbia, of but course. The Paramount Banner's still around. Paramount's still around. But I'm sure they're owned by some larger conglomerate. Well, right? Viacom. Viacom, thank you. I couldn't think of it. That Sony exactly. owns MGM, pretty sure. I th- yeah, because MGM went bankrupt in the yeah. 2010s. And, and Sony's Sony putting owned, out all the James Bond stuff. Well. Yeah, yeah. RKO right. is done. Yeah. You know, I think Warner Brothers may own RKO. And Warner Brothers is under the AT&T banner, right? Yep, right. AT&T Discovery or whoever owns that. Yeah, CNN. And then NBC is... Yeah, I mean, even, it, there's a... I, maybe it is Discovery. I just... That's way more complicated than it has any right to be. Yeah. Um, but all, all of this to say that it is... Obviously, Fox has been bought up by the House of Mouse. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and all and of they've these, dropped that banner. All of these players will probably be just purchased. 20th by Century the House Films. Of Mouse. It's so weird every time I see 20th Century Films. Uh, I do like the uh, my my favorite thing. This is completely an aside. Uh, the 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 Bob's Burger trailer mm-hmm. uh, that opens with the the Fox Searchlight thing, uh, but it's him groaning. Oh uh, boy, mm-hmm. uh, over the uh, that music. I won't tell you what they do uh, in the actual picture, but it's pretty good. I'm I'm very uh, excited to watch that one. I will have hopefully seen that by the time you're hearing this, though. Yeah, it's it's what they had. They have a good time with the opening of that of the movie. That's good. Um, yeah, it's so it does seem like the big five is pretty much gone, or they're at least all owned by other they're companies. All yeah. I mean, yeah. they're, they're still making movies. Sure, right? Yeah, they haven't gone anywhere. I mean, the only one, you know of the big eight, um, United Artists is gone. I mean, I guess United Artists is sort of in that MGM uh, mix there but with of Columbia. Those, I mean, the average everyday person RK probably is only going to recognize. Toast. Yeah, Warner Brothers, Universal, and maybe Fox, maybe Paramount because Star Trek. Yeah, and yeah, there's a whole network. Maybe they yeah. do have a network and a streaming service. Yeah, FCBS. So. so yeah. Anyway, well, we almost got to an hour. Anything else we want to hit on? Uh, I don't know. Um, I there's still... some environmentalist stuff here in a little bit, which is like weirdly sort of ham-fisted in. I mean, there's a better environmental argument in the book. I do say that if you take the slugs out of a uh, rifle. It still fires. It does still make a sound. It does still make a sound. I was irritated about that. Of course you would be. Uh, it is worth noting that there is a character who's expressing himself through T-Rex hunting. That is just sort of a, a masculine Pete yeah, Pete Postlethwaite. The last hunter. Oh, my God. We love Pete Postlethwaite. Let's give it we up do. for a legend. We do love yeah. him. He's great in this. But it's weird Clever character. girl. It's weird. That's what I wanted. It's weird that he is As like... I watched this, I was like... And I watched the first one. I was like, yeah. I would really pay to see a Robert Muldoon prequel. <laughs> it's just him, like, I don't know, big game hunting or something. Mm-hmm. And then we get the birth of the clever girl line somewhere. That's how he it obviously, goes. Of course. Yeah. Arthur, be careful what you wish for. That's what I have to say. Well, uh, I will write it. <laughs> all right well that's a good place to take us home all right let's render a verdict then (laughs) jurassic park excuse me the lost word colon jurassic park shell for trash arthur go i i am i am going to have to trash this one i would not even salvage this as part of a box set with the uh the original so i'm sad to say no no dinosaur love here all right what do you say dalton no i think steven gets it uh i think he would understand this is going in the trash for me too Trash. That's what I say, too. So, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts. If you want to share your thoughts, Dalton will tell you how. Yes, if you were aghast that we've declared Romy and Michelle to be the much more consequential 1997 film uh, than the Jurassic Park 2, 
I don't know, reevaluate your taste in movies. This is not a good film. Uh, <laughs> if you want to let us know what you think about our taste in movies, you can email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Good Trash Media. Uh, there's no reason to be on that website if you're not already. Uh, if you're there, though, you can follow us at Good Trash Media. We post sometimes. Sometimes we don't, but uh, that's where we're at. Finally, if you want to help us keep the lights on, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM and uh, find out a little bit about some of the bonus goodies that you can get for giving us a little scratch. Uh, things like getting to pick a movie for us to talk about. Why did we talk about Romy and Michelle last week? Uh, my wife gives us money. And uh, she said that's the movie we were going to watch. And that can be you, too. If you want to give us money, you can pick a movie. Uh, you can also have movies sent to you uh, by the Arthurtron 9000. Again, all kinds of info over at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Arthur, we're going to keep talking about 1997 next week, aren't we? You know what? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's fun. Let's uh, let's keep that up. Uh, next week we're uh, we're gonna just keep trucking right along. I've got this here somewhere, uh, uh, and so we're gonna uh, keep that going. We're gonna talk about two bona fide '90s A-listers uh, when we take a look at Mimi Letters, The Peacemaker, not starring John Cena, <laughs> the other Peacemaker with George Clooney and Nicole Kidman, but probably could have used John Cena. What was Cena up to in 97? Playing college football? Building? No, he didn't play football, I don't he think. He didn't play football? We're gonna, we'll come next week. We'll Steroids. tell, you, we're gonna answer we'll tell you what John Cena was up to in 97 next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.